When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18-plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This episode is powered by Poddex. Poddex are unique interview questions and episode starting prompts in the palm of your hand. So whether you're a new podcaster or existing broadcaster looking to grow your audience and have more meaningful conversations, you're going to want to check out Poddex. Now, if you want to get 10% off your order right now, you can go to poddex.com and type in coupon code, what's the code? Larry21. Yes, that's the code. Check out poddex.com. Take your podcast to the next level. Welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We dive into stories of true crime from unsolved cold cases to historic kidnapping to gangsters and beyond. We are your source for true crime. We thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. I am your host, Larry Lace. Today on Murder Monday, we discuss the almost perfect murder from John List. Becoming one of the most infamous family annihilators in history. But first, we'd like to thank Audible.com for being a sponsor of the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast, as well as your listener support. Get your free audiobook, download, and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash Larry21. With over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, Audible has a ton of audiobooks for you to try, no matter what genre you love to read. Perhaps you want to try The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, or we've heard that Divergent by Veronica Roth is better than the movie. Thank God. So many to choose from. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Larry21 for your free audiobook, and thanks for supporting the True Crime Never Sleeps podcast. We can't do it without you, and your support means the world to us. We certainly hope you enjoy your free book, as well as your free trial. And more so, we hope you enjoy listening to our show, which is a ton of fun. Thanks again to audible.com, and even more thanks to our wonderful 
and awesome listeners. So now let's dive right in. November 9th, 1971, Westfield, New Jersey. 46-year-old accountant John List woke up with his children, 13-year-old Frederick, 15-year-old John Jr., and 16-year-old Patricia, just like he did every morning. He sat with them while they ate their breakfast, being careful not to do anything that might make them suspicious. The whole point of his plan, which he had been working on for months, was that his family wouldn't suffer. Things had always been strained in the List family, at least to John. He had met Helen, who was a widow after college, soon after they began dating. She told him she was pregnant, so John, a devout Lutheran, agreed to marry her. However, after the wedding, she revealed that she had not been pregnant after all. John felt rightly that he had been tricked, but his religious beliefs would not allow him to break his marriage vows. While Helen might not have been pregnant before they were married, she wasted no time in getting that way. Within four years, Helen and John had three children. This put immense pressure on John to provide for his family, but he couldn't seem to hold down a job. While the quality of his work was never an issue, he was meticulous and hardworking. He was often let go because he just rubbed his bosses or co-workers the wrong way. Something about John List was off-putting in a way that was hard to pin down. So when he landed a job as a vice president of a bank in New Jersey, it seemed their problems were over. Helen insisted that John purchase her dream home, a sprawling 19-room mansion named Breeze Knoll. That was the most expensive house in the most expensive part of town. They couldn't really afford such an extravagant place, but rather than risk a confrontation, John went to his mother, Alma, to ask for a loan. While John's late father had been the more traditional distant type, John and his mother were always close. Friends said she doted on her only child, so she lent him the money he needed, and in exchange, she got to live in a self-contained apartment on the third floor of the mansion. That had been six years ago. Since then, everything had gone downhill. In less than a year, he was fired from the bank job, again, due to personality clashes. Rather than tell his family what had happened and admit failure, he continued to get dressed and go to work every day. He would drive to the train station, ride at a few stops, get off, and return on a different train. He did eventually find another lower-paying job, which he also lost, and another, and another. His income was not keeping pace with his expenses, and he had begun skimming money from his mother's accounts. By 1971, he was bankrupt. This presented a deep moral crisis for the devout Lutheran, who believed that poverty itself was a sin. On top of that, he had three teenagers who were, in his mind, turning more towards the sinful culture of 1970s America. He was particularly worried about Patricia. She had expressed a desire to go into acting, which John believed was an especially corrupt profession. There were even rumors she was dabbling in witchcraft and experimenting with marijuana. That was not even the worst thing, tearing the List family apart. Helen's health was deteriorating rapidly, thanks to a terrible secret she had hidden from John for years. Not long after they moved to New Jersey, she began experiencing blackouts and falling down. The vision in her right eye was going. She was drinking heavily and had become dependent on tranquilizers. In the winter of 1968 to 1969, tests revealed that she had tertiary syphilis syphilis, which she had contracted from her first husband. To make matters worse, Helen, either from embarrassment or mental instability, had stopped going to church. 
John had been silently churning all this around in his mind for months. Going bankrupt was inevitable. However, this would put the family in poverty, dependent on charity and welfare. A completely unacceptable option, according to John. He had considered taking his own life, but his re- in his religion, suicide was the one unforgivable sin. As much as he resented his family for the burden they placed on him, he did, in his way, love them. He wanted to know that he would at least have a chance of seeing them again on the other side. He was determined that there was only one way to save his family from the humiliation and sinfulness of poverty. Much like he did in everything in life, he had worked out a plan in meticulous detail. Once the children had left for school, Helen woke up and came downstairs for a customary morning coffee. John made a little chit-chat with her and then came up behind her with a 9mm Steyr automatic pistol his father had given him. He shot her once in the side of the head, killing her instantly. He placed her body on a sleeping bag and dragged her into the grand ballroom, where he laid her out beneath the stained glass ceiling. Then he went upstairs to his 84-year-old mother's apartment. Alma was fixing her own breakfast. John, feeling like a Judas, gave her a kiss. She asked him about the noise she had heard downstairs. John gave a vague, non-answer. He then put the gun to her left temple and pulled the trigger. Her body was too heavy for him to drag all the way to the ballroom, so he tossed a towel over her face and left her on the floor where she had fallen. Back downstairs, he cleaned up the surprising amount of blood in the kitchen. Then he proceeded with the next steps of his dark plan. He wrote letters and made phone calls to his kids, teachers, his boss, and others, stating the family had to leave to go tend to a sick relative in North Carolina. Then he went to the post office to mail the letters and stop mail delivery. He also arranged to stop their milk and newspaper deliveries. Finally, he dropped by the bank and cashed in his mother's $2,000 savings bond. Back at Breeze Knoll, he made himself a sandwich and waited for his children to come home. Patricia was the first. She called and told her father she was feeling ill. So John picked her up from school early. Once inside, John shot her in the jaw with his antique 22 pistol, a souvenir he had kept from his time in the war. He then dragged her body into the ballroom and laid her out near her mother. Next home was Fred. John shot him the same way he had the others and laid laid his body out next to Patricia. John Jr. had a soccer game after school that day. John Sr. drove to the field and watched him play, then gave him a ride home. Once inside the kitchen, John Sr. shot him in the back of the head. But unlike the other members of the List family who dropped instantly, John Jr. struggled. John Sr. shot him nine more times before dragging him into the ballroom with the rest of his family. He then said a prayer from the Lutheran hymnal over their bodies. John cleaned up the blood as best as he could, then sat down at the table and ate dinner. When he was done, he washed his dishes and set them to dry in the drainer. He went to bed and slept, as he later admitted, better than he had in years. The next morning, he turned turned down the air conditioning to preserve the bodies, He turned on every light in the house and turned the radio on to his favorite classical music station, hoping to trick any would-be intruders into thinking there were people in the home. He then sat down and penned a five-page confession letter to his pastor. Finally, he searched out every family picture in the house and cut his image out of them. Then John, email list, walked out the door and locked it behind him. He drove to the JFK International Airport and dropped his car off. He then took a bus into the city. From there, he took a train to Denver. There, he applied for a social security card under the name of Robert Peter Clark. 
He got a job as a short order cook and started his new life. Meanwhile, Breeze Knoll sat still, empty of all life. As the weeks passed, the lights began to burn out one by one, leaving the mansion dark. Only the sound of classical music playing over the speakers. Because the lists were so reclusive, it took nearly a month before anyone started asking questions. By the first week of December, Patricia's drama teacher was concerned about her prolonged absence. He said he couldn't shake the feeling that something was terribly wrong at the list home. He found John List to be a strange man, but it was something that Patricia had confided in him earlier that worried him. She had told him that she was worried her father was going to kill the whole family. The drama teacher convinced another teacher to go with him to the list home to check on them. Seeing strange people walking around the house and peering in the windows in the dark, some neighbors called the police. Officers George Z and Charles H were first to arrive. The officers knocked and looked through the windows, but couldn't find anything out of place. At the neighbor's urging, they found an unlocked window and climbed through. The house was almost entirely dark, except for a single upstairs light that had that threw long shadows over everything. The air inside was frigid and creepiest of all, haunting funereal music was playing throughout the house. Following their flashlights through the cold, empty home, they came to a set of curtains partitioning up the ballroom. As soon as the officers parted the curtains, they were hit with the smell of human decomposition. Inside neatly, lay out on sleeping bags on the floor, were the bodies of Helen, Patricia, Frederick, and John Jr. Upon searching the rest of the house, they found John's confession letter and the guns he had used to kill him. Following the instructions in the letter, they found Alma's body upstairs. They immediately put out a nationwide APB for list. Soon, they found his car parked at JFK Airport, but could find no record of his taking a flight. There were no more leads, no clues as to where List might have gone. John List was in the wind. And before we continue, once again, we'd like to thank Poddex for sponsoring this episode. You can check them out today at poddex.com and use the promo code Larry21 for 10% off your order. And now, let's get back. Following August, the list home caught fire in what was widely believed to have been an arson. Afterwards, it was discovered that the stained glass ceiling in the ballroom was signed by Louis Comfort Tiffany, making it worth upwards of $100,000, enough to have solved all the list money problems with plenty left over. That really sucks. All he had to do was look at the freaking stained glass and not kill his family, and he would have been a rich man. Over the years, the police followed up on every tip, citing and lead, but they all led nowhere. The police and press did their best to keep the case in the public eye, publishing and broadcasting the story on every significant anniversary. The first, the third, the fifth, the tenth, they even tried to get the case featured on Unsolved Mysteries to no avail. By 1989, the list case was nearly 18 years cold. Another TV show called America's Most Wanted had been on the air for a little over a year and was already a hit for the Fox Network. Captain Frank, uh, can't really pronounce his last name, so I'll just call him Frank M., but the Union County Prosecutor's Office thought this would be the perfect vehicle to get the List case out to a wider audience and hopefully bring John List to justice. However, the show initially turned them down. The case was too old, too cold, until John Walsh caught wind of the case. 
some of you, you may only know Walsh as a true crime TV host who occasionally tweets on, on Twitter. But Walsh got his start in true crime TV hosting America's Most Wanted in 1988, thanks to his victim's right advocacy following the murder of his six-year-old son, Adam. Walsh understandably has some pretty strong feelings about List. He's called him a son of a bitch, a coward, and a child killer. Walsh was determined to bring List to justice, but they needed an image of him as he would have looked in 1989. So Walsh called on forensic sculptor Frank Bender to create an age-progressed bust of List. In addition to using the standard facial reconstruction measurements that most forensic anthropologists use, he also reached out to forensic psychologist Richard Walter to get a detailed psychological profile of List. He also looked at pictures of List's parents to see how their faces had aged. Using all that information, along with his own intuition, he created a bust of what List, now in his 60s, would look like, but would not be complete without his glasses. Knowing List's personality, Bender scoured thrift stores to find just the right frames that someone like List would likely wear conservative with thick black frames. Once he found the pair he thought would be a good fit, the bust was finished. The case of John List aired on AMW May 21st, 1989. An estimated 22 million people saw the program, including true crime fans Wanda Flannery and her daughter Eva Mitchell in Denver. Even before the bust was shown, Flannery and Mitchell were sure their former neighbor Bob Clark fit the description. Soft-spoken, always wears a suit, an accountant, devoted Lutheran. When Bender's forensic bust was shown on screen, they were stunned. It looked just like Clark, right down to the glasses. So Flannery called the tip line. Eleven days later, the FBI showed up at Bob Clark's home in Richmond, Virginia. His new wife, Dolores, told them that he was at work. So the agents showed up at the office where Clark was working as an accountant. One of the agents said it was striking how much he looked like Bender's sculpture. They asked him if he was Bob Clark, and he said yes. They then asked if he was John List. He denied it. He continued to deny it, even after his prints were found to be a match to the prints taken from List when he had applied for a handgun permit. List was arrested and charged with five counts of first-degree murder. His trial began April 2nd, 1990, 18 and a half years after the killing. Talking about a long battle for justice. List was diagnosed by the court psychiatrist with obsessive-compulsive disorder, which his defense said made him only guilty of second-degree murder. On April 11th, after nine hours of deliberation, the jury found him guilty on all five counts of first-degree murder. He was given a maximum sentence allowed at the time, five consecutive life terms. When the sentence was read aloud, the courtroom erupted in applause. One person, however, wasn't as happy with the verdict. Walsh. He wanted List to get the death penalty. Many in law enforcement, along with Walsh, credit Bender's amazingly accurate bust with cracking one of the oldest cases at the time. In fact, Walsh kept that bust in his office for many years. Bender, sadly, passed away in 2011 from mesothelioma. List later appealed his case, claiming he had been suffering from PTSD from his combat experience in World War II but a federal appeals court rejected his claims. At this point, any speculation about his mental state is moot, but I would like to put forward a theory I haven't seen discussed yet. I believe John List was on the autism spectrum. 
Let me be clear on two points. First, the vast majority of people on the spectrum are nonviolent. So I'm not saying autism made him homicidal. Second, being on the spectrum still would not excuse or justify what he did. Why do I think he was on the spectrum? Look at what his co-workers and neighbors said about him. He was a hard worker, focused, and meticulous. Traits commonly found in people on the spectrum. He was soft-spoken, polite, pathologically avoided conflict, yet he seemed strange, odd, and off-putting. This sounds very much like someone on the spectrum. Their odd behaviors and seeming lack of social skills are probably the most well-known symptoms of this disorder. The fact that he was diagnosed with OCD even fits with that. The symptoms of OCD and autism are so similar that they are commonly indistinguishable even at doctors and psychiatrists. But it was watching his interviews that convinced me. Before speaking to psychiatrists, police, or television hosts, he would carefully, even fussily, arrange any items on the table. Everything had to be just so. His manner seemed flat and emotionless. His tone of voice barely changing. Having raised the sun on the spectrum, it was striking to me how closely he fit the profile. But this is all speculation. We'll never know what truly went on in his mind. Liss died in prison on March 21st. 2008, from pneumonia, he was 82. Let us know your thoughts in the comments section below about uh, John List and the almost perfect murder. Is there any topics you want covered in future Murder Monday episodes? Let us know in the comments section below. And as always, um, you can find us on all social media platforms. Just search True Crime Never Sleeps. And if you want to support the show, you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNS. Your support helps the channel grow, upgrade our equipment. And as always, we thank you for listening and watching, and we will see you next time. You have been listening to the True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Facebook at True Crime Never Sleeps Podcast and on Twitter at True Crime NS. Follow us on Instagram at True Crime Never Sleeps. Thanks for watching. If you want to support the show, buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash TCNN or become a patron at patreon.com slash True Crime Never Sleeps. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.